This is the Millionaire Real Estate Podcast, where you'll learn the strategies and tactics you need to become a millionaire agent. Learn from top agents, brokers, team leaders, and experts in the industry who can help you on the path to success. And now, here's today's episode. excited to have actually this is part two of a podcast series on our millionaire uh, real estate live podcast so make sure you check out part one we are so excited to have scott Hellenic back for a part two he has been a real estate investor for almost 30 years he's closed over 800 homes and he has done 158 slow flips and actually i think that number's increased because he just closed on one yesterday he's going to talk to us about and I'm sure you're wondering, if you haven't listened to the first part of the episode, what is a slow flip? And he's going to tell us all about it. So, Scott, we are so happy to have you back here again today. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it yesterday. I'm looking forward to today. Yeah. So this is such a great concept. Again, I'm really going to encourage you to go listen to part one. But for those of you who haven't listened, give them a brief explanation of what a slow flip is. So... Rather than just tell you about what a slow flip is, I wanted to kind of tell you how I got to the slow flip. So I was a conventional landlord. I started buying in 94 and I did everything that everyone taught to do. And some of you guys may actually be doing that, which is the Burr method and refi and make your small spreads and pull out your equity. And, and I did all of that. And I had 84 houses going into 2007. And then you know, for those of you who have been around a while, you remember, you know, I talk about it like it was yesterday. Someone recently just told me, you know, that was 15 years ago. And I was like, oh, it feels like yesterday. Um, I got crushed in 2007 and I lost 55 of my houses to foreclosure and I barely survived. I didn't have a fallback plan. Mostly everybody else went back to their jobs and I had nothing else I could do. So I started looking at the people who were still doing well and some people were doing better than ever. And one of the things I found was the people who were crushing it still owned everything free and clear, which was against everything that everyone teaches, right? Everyone teaches leverage, 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 you know, and make money with the banks and all this stuff. And, you know, leverage is great. And the Burr method is great until it's not right. And so at the same time, now we were getting crushed in the market, prices were coming down. And I started seeing the most unbelievable deals in the world, but yet I couldn't qualify for a pack of gum. You know, and I wanted them free and clear, but you can't buy free and clear unless you have the cash, right? So I kind of came up with a hybrid program, which was we borrow, we use private money and we buy these low end properties. We pay cash, but it's not our cash. We use a private lender, but we finance them on five year mortgages. So they're, they're fully amortized on a five year mortgage. Then we simultaneously sell them as is no renovation, no repairs, no work done. I don't even mow the lawn, nothing. We simultaneously sell them on a 30 year mortgage. So we're not landlords, we're not doing repairs, we don't have to do property management, we operate exactly like a bank. We buy them on short term five year mortgages and then we sell them instantly on 30 year mortgages and then we just collect the payments. Now we typically don't make any money for five years because as you can imagine on a five year mortgage, your payment is high, we don't lose money, we make sure it's break even or a little bit of spread. But then starting at the 61st payment, it is 100% income to us. And that's where freedom is. And that my whole thing I teach and everything we go into is all about creating freedom, which I know your program, your, your real estate office is the same way. It's all about creating freedom. You know, I don't teach people to be rich and buy Lamborghinis and yachts. I teach them to set themselves free, which is kind of a whole basis of our program. That's awesome. Now let's give them an example so they can just kind of understand a slow flip. So what would you buy 
How much would you pay for it? How much would you pay the private lender? And then what are you turning around and getting in return? So the numbers vary all the way. I'm going to give you the base numbers. That, that's what I teach. But the numbers vary. I have houses all the way up to 875000 and all the way down to houses we get for next to nothing. I have gotten houses for free. But our typical numbers that I teach, and I don't know where everybody in the country is, so I'm going to, I'm going to tell you to step back for a second when I say this, because most times when people hear this number, they're like, no, you can't buy houses. And I'm like, yes, you can. Just take them in Google and you'll see they exist. They, don't, they might not be in your market. Our typical numbers are buying a house for $30,000. Take a breath, everybody. They are $30,000 houses. They might not be where you are, but there are $30,000 houses. And then we sell them instantly the same day for $89,000. Now, we don't make that spread. We're buying them for $30,000 on private money. And our payment, just so you know the payment, we, we pay 12%. Our, our lenders make 12%. So we pay 12% to our lenders, which makes our payment $667.33 but there's only 60 payments and then you want it free and clear. We sell it for 89,000 financed for 30 years. Their payment is typically around 875 a month. So you can do the math, 667 plus we pay the taxes and insurance. We're not making any money for the first five years. But then as soon as we hit the 61st payment, it is complete profit. And I have 178 now that what you were reading earlier was at 158. And, that, and it's because I sent that paper and it hasn't been updated. So I have 178 now. I have 79 of them are already free and clear. All of them are free and clear within the next five years, depending on like I just closed on one right now and it'll be five years from now. But they're all free and clear within five years. But I, um, but I have 79 right now that are free and clear. And it's amazing the difference in lifestyle when I had, I had a bunch of properties with a bunch of mortgages. You know, people, I know people that have a hundred houses and they, we have lunch and they're like, well, I'm not making any money. I collect a hundred grand a month and I pay out, you know, I might pay out 80 grand a month, but then after all the repairs and the maintenance and management, they're not making any money with the slow flips. It's a whole different ball game. We just operate like a bank. We don't have repair calls. We don't have maintenance. We don't have any of that stuff. We're just like a bank. We just shuffle papers. Yeah. And so they don't, they're not calling you because they have a roof leak or, or they need an HVAC repair. There, you you wouldn't call your mortgage company for that. They are they are owners, like they are purchasing the home. And I I manage my own, but a lot of our students use a servicing company, which is the same servicing companies that mortgage companies use, like Loan Care and Westar. And so the the buyer is actually paying to a mortgage company. You're just you're just processing payments. That's it. You're not a landlord. Yeah, so that's great. That's really great to know. So let's talk about this. So you say that you you purchase them and then you turn around and sell them the same day. What is your success rate on that? Especially in well, this market particularly where there's not a lot of inventory out there. So I buy in four different states. Um, and so in my market, I live in Hampton Roads. So I live in Virginia in Hampton Roads. I live in Virginia Beach. So in my market, I buy in seven cities out here they fill in less than a day. And I was telling you a story about one I just closed on Friday. Now I didn't fill it Friday because it was pouring rain out and the streets were flooded, but I filled it yesterday. And so it would have been filled on Friday. The same buyer who was coming to meet me Friday, who I canceled on him I, because he drives a Corvette and I knew he wouldn't have made it. Um, <laughs> he bought it He bought it yesterday. So in our market, they, they fill in a day. However, I also buy a lot in Missouri, in Illinois, Indiana, and out there, they might take up somewhere two weeks to a month to fill. Sometimes I get them done in a couple of days, but I always factor in two weeks to a month out there. But the numbers are staggering. I mean, you could buy, you know, and again, if you're if you haven't looked in those markets, 
people think you're out of your mind. They don't have houses for 20 grand. I buy houses for 20 grand, 15 grand, 22 grand. And you look at them, they're nice. I'm like, how is that possible? And, um, and then we fill them and collect 875 a month on something we paid 20 grand for. It's crazy, but there's an abundance of them. And, uh, and that's why I always tell people, I said, don't take my word for it. You got Google, right? Just, just Google it and you'll see. Yeah. Now, where are you finding these houses? So locally, it's a lot more competitive. And so locally, we, we actually do marketing out here. I, do, I, do, I also wholesale. So locally, I will do direct mail. I do a lot of SEO. I'm, I'm on the internet a lot and a lot of networking. On my Midwest houses, they're readily available. So we buy those either through agents, through property managers, or through um, real estate invest groups on Facebook. There's tons of them available. So we buy them right off of there. Got it. And then how do you find your buyer? So when you, you've now purchased it, and then you're going you're gonna to find a buyer for it same day. Where are you finding these buyers? So we have a couple different systems for finding buyers. The biggest way is as you start marketing and you have a house where you have one house, right? You might get 100 leads on it. You only can sell to one person. So the easiest way is to use those other 99 names and numbers and we market to them when the next one comes up. But we do it a few different ways. We do it through Facebook Marketplace. We do it through Facebook groups. We use bandit signs. I have a system with bandit signs that, um, that people laugh at, but we use deplorable handwritten misspelled bandit signs and the reason is like you guys are all professionals you're real estate agents you would never put out a sign that looks like that your signs are always perfect and beautiful but our buyer is typically somebody that has less than perfect credit or doesn't have a job on the books or has some reason that they don't qualify conventionally so when they see the beautiful sign they in their head say they're going to charge me a 45 dollar application fee and then they're going to deny me when they see the sign that's written with a marker and it's misspelled and squished in, they say, there's a guy I can work with. And the phone rings off the hook and goes crazy. And we typically, typically a day is a long time for our, for our market. Midwest takes me two weeks to a month. Sometimes we get them done quicker, but generally I factor two weeks to a month. Yeah, that is really, really, that is so smart. So now once you get all these people calling you, so now you, the phone's ringing, you've put out, you've handwritten a sign that says you have a three bedroom, you know, two bath house for $80,000 owner financing, call my number. Indian special, 3,000 down, 875 yeah. a month. Yep. So you have all these people calling. How do you determine who you're going to sell to? Like, obviously a lot of these people, like you said, have less than perfect credit or they may not have a you know, steady job that a conventional lender would uh, would lend to them. How are you choosing to get your best possible, you know, that you're going to have them for a long term that they're going to be paying you every month? So that is a great question. And I don't have a great answer. My <laughs> answer is, and, and I know you guys are in a different end of the business. You're in the retail end, but we do it on a first come first serve basis. Mm -hmm. And the reason we do is because there, there's a, you know, normally if I'm talking to a group, they're not as educated as you guys are. So you guys know the, um, the laws and most people think that you can set your, your rules and then you will get 10 applicants and pick the best qualified applicant. But the law generally says you have to set your minimum acceptable criteria. And then the first person to meet the minimum acceptable is the one who gets it. And I don't mess with it. I do it first come first serve. The first person to put the, the down payment is your credit. Typically we get three to $5,000 down. And that's their credit. Locally here, we're getting ten to fifteen thousand down. Midwest, we get three to five thousand down. First person to put the money down, they're the ones who get it. We don't. We're not doing background checks. We're not doing credit checks. The first person to get it is the one who gets it. So that's. So you have to remember, they're getting an incredible opportunity as well. Yeah. Our lender is. We are, and our buyer is. Everybody's getting a great opportunity. And that down payment's also helping you create a little bit of a cushion in case they default or. 
and also giving you some money to start buying your next one. Um, so you're getting a little bit of upfront. The way I teach my my people in my group to do it is to not spend that money. And the reason is I, I'm all about freedom and peace of mind, right? And so I don't want to have somebody takes that three grand or five grand and spends it as though it's income. And then six months later, if somebody defaulted, now they have to earn money to pay that payment because they still got five years of a payment. So I always tell them, I said, leave that five grand in the account. And if you ever have to turn the property, you don't have any stress making your payment. Once the house is paid off, now you can spend the money. But until it's paid off, you know, people hate when I say this, but I'm, I always say, I say, I say, you don't deserve to make a dollar off your house till it's free and clear. Once it's free and clear, now that money's yours. Until then, you're working for your lender, yeah. which most people are working for the bank for 30 years. In our case, it's five years. Yeah. This is already generating a ton of questions from our listeners. So we're going to go ahead and ask a couple of these. Someone wants to know, what is your default rate on the buyers? So we have a very, very, very low default rate. I don't have a specific percentage, but I can tell you that even during COVID where defaults on renters were through the roof because nobody was leaving their house, nobody was going to work, our people paid, and it would shock me because I was preparing everybody for, listen, it's going to be 2008 when nobody's paying, but everybody paid because they they renovated these houses. They made them their own. They're not going to risk it because the government on TV is saying you don't have to make your payment. They're like, well, what if they're wrong? I'm not going to lose my house. And so we had very, very high success rate. Now we do have a good share that we file on, meaning they're late and we do have to file on them, but we always cancel providing they pay before the court date. And so, you know, again, that you guys are already in the business, but one of the things I always teach is by staying strict, you're actually doing them a favor because I, I've been doing this for a long time and I used to think I was being nice by saying, oh, well, okay, they'll pay next month. And next thing you know, they owe two grand and three grand. And now they can't, they've never, they've never seen that much money or they can't come up with that large amount and it's cheaper for them to move. But when you're strict, when it's five days, they get a late notice and on the 12th, it's filed on, they can come up with the 900 bucks. And so I feel you're actually, I know it sounds self-serving, but it's true. You're actually doing them a favor by being strict. So we file, we, we do file. If you don't pay on time, you know, you get a late notice on the 5th and we will file by the 15th. But um, but we always cancel it 1,000% of the time. We'll, we'll always cancel it. And very rarely does anyone actually get evicted. That's awesome. That's great. And then someone else has asked, are you using a contract for deed or seller financing? Correct. We are using an agreement. It's called a contract for deed in some states, an agreement for deed or a land contract. We do not do actual seller financing where the deed transfers. We are using an agreement for deed. And the way I word it to my buyers when I'm sitting with them and they ask, you know, how does this work or what's the difference? The way I word it is when you buy a house using a bank, the deed goes in your name and then you pay for 30 years. When you buy a house from me, you pay for 30 years and then the deed goes in your name. It's the exact same end result. And that's the way I word it to them. Yeah, that's great. This is such a great opportunity for people too who are looking to get into home ownership, which is what we preach all the time. Like don't rent, get into home ownership. This is such a great, such a great way for them. So one of the things I always say is that you're unemployed until your next sale. So when you're in real estate, you earn the money, you get paid, and then you're actually unemployed again, right? That's how real estate works. So we want to teach everybody how to conduct themselves as a business and not just be real estate agents because business owners, being a business owner will help you retire. And so I want you to look at something that is the next level, which is Robert Kiyosaki's cash flow quadrant. And so yeah. what he says is, is that the next level of a business owner is like, okay, ask yourself, 
Am I on this side or am I on this side? Am I just self-employed or am I a business owner or do I take it to the next level and have passive income? And that's really what is great is because we teach you, number one, how to operate on this side where you're a business owner and also are creating passive income. And what I say is, does your system, does your business work independently from you? Like, have you ever been to a real estate agent retirement party? Like I never have, right? Like I've seen people, you know, that have been in real estate for a really long time. It ages you, but I know one thing, I don't wanna be showing homes on Saturdays and Sundays, getting calls at night, and I don't want to, when I'm 65 years old, doing that. And so that's what we're trying to solve is saying, why don't agents retire? Well, there's all kinds of reasons. You know, they there's no retirement contribution matched by their employer. Healthcare prices are going up. Prices in general are just insane right now. And even if you have a rental property that maybe makes $3,000 a month, you're spending $2,000 on expenses, and then you just aren't making enough passive income. So what we wanna teach you how to do, we call it now and later. Like, you know the candy, now and later? Well, we wanna have you have money now, and your now money is helping buyers and sellers buy their home and sell their home. Yes, let's do a little bit of that. But we're going to help you create that later money, which is where we can retire or at least have some kind of retirement money addition to what we're already making. And so that is the real basis of our brokerage. You can build your own brand, you can be successful, and we give you all the tools and support to fast track your business to success. So they also asked, what? how do we connect with people who are looking for owner financing? What's your marketing look like? Well, I think you just post up, you just put up the, the handwritten signs, right? The amount of people looking for owner financing is shocking. It's, um, it, it, and I always tell people, I say, we, we sell the financing, the house comes with it. The financing is where our value add is. If, if, they, if a house was listed, it might be right on the MLS for 30 grand. And we're selling that same house for 89. That doesn't make any sense. Why would anyone buy that house for 89? It was listed for 30. And I've had, I'll, I'll tell you real, real conversations. Somebody may sit with me and they'll be like, well, this is 89. How come there's one on the same block that looks just like it and it's only 40? And my answer is, well, I would buy that one. That's a way better deal. And, um, and then they typically say, well, yeah, but that one you got to pay cash. I'm like, well, then I would buy mine. And yeah. I, you know, I, I'm brutally honest with people and I just put it out there. The reason they buy mine is because in essence, they're going to pay the exact same amount they would be paying in rent. They don't have the option to buy unless they got educated. They don't have the option to buy it the same way we buy it with private money. So their choices aren't buy mine or buy the other. It's buy mine or rent somewhere. And so this is why it works out well for them because they pay no more. Typically, the, the money that we charge per month is the same amount they would have paid to rent somewhere. Only now in the end, they have the house. Yeah. And um, otherwise, they could have rented forever and had nothing. This is, that's awesome. And the way when you were talking about why would they buy it from you for 89000 when it's on the MLS for 30000 this brings me to something that you talk about. You talk about that there's three values in a, on a home. Tell us a little bit about that. And it's not just on a home. It's on everything. You know, but but I'm using a home as an example. 
people think, you know, oh, you get an appraisal and there's this one value to a house. And you guys know you're probably primarily selling retail, which is, you know, we've set all after repair value as investors, right? The, the retail price. And that's what a family is buying when they're coming in and getting a mortgage and they're going to move into it. There's also a cash value, which is typically an investor who's paying cash for a house. Now, cash investors aren't going to go and pay retail prices for houses unless they're just really stupid. They wouldn't be paying retail prices for houses. They're going to pay a cash value. Um, now, sometimes it's in distress con condition. Sometimes it's a distress situation where they just need it done quickly. Some, and they don't have to pay agent commissions often. They don't have to do closing cost assistance. They don't have to do the pickers. And so the cash investor will pay less than a retail investor. Then there's also the third value, which is the owner-financed investor. The owner-financed investor or, or owner-financed buyer, they're buying based on the same way I started, um, which is down payment and monthly payment. Their whole criteria is how much is it down? How much is it a month? When I started, I started buying in 1994, and I can't see who's on here and how old you guys are. But back then, there was a thing called non-qualifying assumptions, and I don't know if anybody remembers it. They did away with it in 87 for FHA and 89 for VA. But what it meant was anybody can assume that mortgage with no qualifying, no, no job, no credit check, no anything, much like a sub two is now, but with the bank's blessing. Like you're sub two, the bank doesn't know you did it. It was the same exact thing, only back then the bank blessed it and put the, the coupon book or the mortgage statement in your name. You owned it. And I would buy everything. I was crazy buying houses then because it was no credit check. It was how much down and how much a month. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. And that's the same way I sell now. The same way I got into the business, only non-qualifying assumptions don't exist anymore. But that's the exact same way I sell because I know that there's thousands of people that still operate the same way I used to, which is how much down, how much a month, how much can I rent it for? Can I still make a spread? And they do it. And I just operate as the bank. Yeah. So you're paying 12% on average to your private lender when you are borrowing money. How much are you charging to the owner that you're financing for? It varies on the price of the house. I just did one yesterday and the rate, and he actually asked me the rate. Generally, they don't. It came out to 7.1%. Um, in Virginia, the highest we can do is 12%. Same applies with um, Illinois. In um, Missouri, you're allowed to go higher than that. But um, but we try, and generally, it's somewhere between 8 and 12%. And um, it depends on the price that we ended up selling it for and the monthly payment. We do it in an amortization calculator and it gives us the rate. Yeah, that's awesome. We don't sell based on rate. We sell based on the monthly payment. So right, the monthly it's payment. The rate. Yeah, because you're looking at your kind of your long-term game in that um, right. and making sure you have your, your spread covered for the first five years. Now, one thing people are asking is what is the best way to find a reputable, reputable private money lender if they want to get started in this? So that is a great question. And I have a varying opinion. I don't want to call it opinion. I have a very, I, I have varying thoughts than most people. My opinion is a private lender is not a company. Uh, they, you know, I, there's even companies that are called privatelender.com or whatever. And those are, in my opinion, those are not private lenders. To me, a private lender is an individual that has money in their bank account that's making no money on it. And we're presenting an opportunity to them and they're going to loan it at 12%. So I teach our people how to raise private money. And I'll give you, I don't know how much time we have. I'll give you a glimpse into how we do it. Yeah. Um, and so these are, keep in mind, these are not businesses. And I don't want people who are active investors. If you're like me, like everybody asks me, well, how come you don't lend um, to the slow flip buyers? I said, well, because when I do a slow flip myself, I make 20 to 30% return. And if I lend, I make a 12% return. I'm like, do you need a further answer than that, right? But there's tons of people who are not active investors. They're they're in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and they just have money in their bank account and they would like to make a secured return on it, right? 
Those are the people we're talking about, actual private individuals who aren't in the business. They're not lending to 12 people. They're lending to you. You cultivated them. You trained them, and they are your lender, private, your private lender. So, and I, again, and I don't, don't if I ramble too much, you're just going to have to stop me because I want to tell you guys how we raise money because it, it works phenomenally. The number one stumbling block people have for raising money is fear. They believe two, one of two things they believe. First off, they say, they shake their head and they say, yeah, nobody I know has any money. Yeah. Because I always tell them, start with friends and family, start with friends and family. Everybody's like, yeah, that's easy for you. Nobody I know has any money, right? Everybody believes that and that's not true. The money is there. The second reason is fear of rejection. People say, well, I'm not going to talk to them because I know they're going to say no and then I'm going to feel stupid. And rather than be rejected, I'm just not going to ask, right? And, and I agree with you. Nobody wants to be rejected. So we have a system that we use for raising. And I'm just going to tell you a short version of it right now where you cannot be rejected. And the way it goes, and I learned this actually accidentally. And, and then I thought about the way that played out. And I was like, ah, that's a great way to go about it. So we never pitch our prospect. If, if I'm talking to you, Heather, and I'm thinking and that, you know, I, I know you, you, you want to be a lender. or I think you may want to be a lender. I'm never going to ask you to loan me money because now you can reject me, right? You can say no. So instead, we will never ask you, we offer an opportunity for one. We offer an opportunity to earn 12% on your money secured by real estate. But I don't offer it to you, Heather. I ask you if you know anybody who might be interested in earning 12% on their money secured by real estate. Now you can't tell me no, because I didn't ask you. I asked you if you know anybody. Now, really, I am asking you, but now I didn't give you the opportunity because once you know you're being pitched, what do you do? Whoa, 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 put up your walls and I don't want to hear it, la, 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 la. But instead, I'm asking if you know anybody who's interested. And then, Heather, you may even be like, well, tell me about it. I said, no, not you. You're doing all this other stuff. You're, you're doing whatever you're investing in. But I know you know a lot of people until Heather's going, just tell me. I might be interested. That sounds like something I want to do. And now I maintain the level of control where I'm telling them my program and not asking how much do you want to make or how many how many months do you want to do it for? I I don't ever ask. I just tell them my program is 60 months, 12% amortized, and that's the way we do it. It's our program. And I and I teach our people, you come up with your set program. It might be 30 grand in some in in the our market here, we'll do up to 50 grand and on a 60-month loan at 12%. But you create your own program and we don't, we never ask. We offer an opportunity and we offer it to somebody you may know, not to you. So you can never say no. Yeah, and that's so great. Let's give them a real life example. So you just did one, you just closed on one and, and sold it yesterday. You closed it on Friday, sold it on Monday. Tell us a little bit about, just walk through that process. What did you buy it for? What did you sell it for? Um, and how quickly it all came to fruition? Okay, so these numbers aren't gonna be the exact numbers I just taught you. This is a house in Chesapeake. It's a higher dollar type house. I paid $66,000 for it. And so this is, it's an older house. Mind you, this house probably has not been touched in 40 or 50 years as far as an upgrade, nothing. It doesn't have central air. It had window units in it, still filled with furniture and garbage. Um, so it's been probably 40 plus years. Nobody's done anything with this house. I paid $66,000 for it on Friday. I had a buyer on Friday, but the, um, the uh, rain started coming down and it was, pouring and flooding. I don't know if you guys are local in Norfolk, the whole thing was flooded. So I canceled on him. And then yesterday I did the podcast with Chantel. And right after I, I literally ran out because we ran overtime and I ran out and met him. And so I sold that house now. And I want you to follow the numbers. I paid 66,000 for it. Didn't touch it. Didn't clean up the garbage. Didn't do anything. I sold it for 199,000 at 30 years at 1275 a month. 
So, and that's the one I think he asked me the rate and it came out to 7.1% interest. So I'm getting 1275 a month on a house I paid 66 for. Now that one, I used my own money, so I don't have a loan on it, um, but you can, it still works. I always make them work with a five-year loan, but lately I've just mostly just been paying cash for them. But the numbers are staggering when you think about if an investor, if a, if a conventional investor was to buy it as a flip, for instance, that house would need $70,000, $80,000 worth of work. And they would still sell probably at two nineteen, but you put in seventy, eighty thousand dollars worth of work, and you're taking your three months, four months, five months, and then you're going to be taxed on it. And you're going to have to turn it over and do another one. Or if you were a conventional landlord, you could probably buy that house and put thirty grand, maybe maybe 40, 30, 40 grand into it to make it rent ready for a conventional landlord, and then you're probably going to get fourteen seventy five a month, and still have to do the maintenance and the upkeep every single year. We do absolutely nothing. We operate like a bank. So now he's just paying us twelve seventy-five a month. He's, this is his sixth or seventh property this one guy has with us. And he'll be paying that every month. And he's going to fix it up now. And he's going to rent it out. And he's going to make the $300 a month. He paid ten grand down on it. He's going he's gonna to put the money into fixing it up. He's going to make his spread. And he's adding it to his rental portfolio. So, And this is something that I want to touch on because some people hate this because they're like, but I love my houses, you know, they're my babies, right? And I took care of it. And I picked the fixture and I painted the door. And in, in these scenarios, it's him who's going to love the house. We, we're never going to see it again. We just process the payments. And so I know a lot of people hate that because you do love your house. I used to love my houses prior to the bust. I loved them. And um, so now I don't have any love for houses anymore. I'm just processing papers. They're, I don't have any emotional attachment to specific houses and so, you know, that was a, a real example. We just closed yesterday. It was 199, 10 grand down and financed 189. It came out to, I think, 7.1%. His payment's 12.75 a month on a house that we paid $66,000 for. And the crazy thing is, and people are, this is going to be hard for them to wrap their mind around it. And we talked about this a little bit before the call. How much is too much work? Didn't this house still have furniture in it? It was still, I mean, yeah. it was probably 40 years. Uh, 40 or more years that the family was there, then the people passed away and other people lived in it until they passed away and other people lived in it. There's still furniture, still garbage, still a, a pot on the stove. You know, it's- You didn't touch that. Touch. Yeah, I didn't touch didn't I don't touch, touch anything. Yeah. You just sold it as is, just like that. Correct. Yeah, that's great. And some people are asking, okay, so these houses are so low priced, like they have to be probably in somewhere that people aren't, like it's not a popular place to live. And so- you know, I, I saw something that you said that was a great way to decide, you know, whether or not you should buy a home in a certain neighborhood. Tell a little bit about how you decide if you should buy it or not. So prior to 2008, prior to the bust, I they it was neighborhoods I wouldn't go in. I mean, I'm like, nope, I, that, that's when I loved my houses. I was like, no, I wanted the nice houses I can go and maintain and take care of. And I loved all my houses. After the bust, some houses started getting on the listed on the MLS. I remember the first low price one I bought right off the MLS was sixteen thousand dollars, and I was like, sixteen thousand? How do you not buy it? I was like, screw it, I'm buying it. And it took me into another neighborhood that I wouldn't never have bought it before, and it filled right away. I still own that house today. I think I get twelve seventy five a month for it, for a house I paid sixteen thousand dollars for, and I never renovated it, mind you, which is crazy. But so the way I determine if I would buy in an area is different than what it used to be. Everybody tells me, oh, go to the crime maps and go to these heat maps and all these different things. And again, depending on what business model you're doing, that may, that may apply. But for slope flips, the way I tell people to do it, I say, if, you, if you're at the house and you're standing on the porch and you can look around at all the neighboring houses and they're occupied, then it's, a good, it's, it's an area you can buy in. 
Just because you wouldn't live there doesn't mean someone else wouldn't live there. Now, there are neighborhoods, especially out in the Midwest. I mean, Missouri, there's a lot of neighborhoods by St. Louis where all the houses are just shells on that street. They're, they're gutted, they're shells. I wouldn't buy it for any price. I wouldn't take it for free because all you're really buying is a tax bill, right? It's going to cost more to renovate it than it's worth when it's done. So I wouldn't buy in those areas. But if you go into any neighborhood and you look and all the houses are occupied, then that's all I need to know. The numbers work. If you, again, you you may not live there, but somebody will. Everyone else is living here. Somebody will live there. Yes, and it's so great. I'm telling. We're already out of time. I can't. This is the fastest thirty minutes of my life. Um, it's such great information. So it's going. Eighty-seven more things to go over. We can't. I know. I know. I know. Which is great because they need to go to your site and they need to go to your webinars and read your book. Tell them about your book and tell them where how they can find more about your process. So I just put out a book called The Art of the Slow Flip, and it basically goes through everything from start to finish. I told Chantel we were giving everybody a free copy. Um, that wanted one, just pay the shipping and handling. If you go to slowflip.com, S-L-O-W-F-L-I-P.com and, um, and put in your information, I have like 250 available right now and we'll send them right on out to you. And I held, I don't know if you can tell, but I hold nothing back always. I love slow flips. I love talking to them. So I don't hold anything back. So I literally give you every single step-by-step -step that you need in there. There is no, there is no fluff. It isn't a pamphlet. I give you every single thing that you need if you're interested in slow flips. Yeah, that's Absolutely. great. Yeah, so slowflip.com. Tell them how else they can find you. Are you on social? I'm everywhere on social media, and there's nothing fancy. If you just type in my name, Scott Jelinek, I'm on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, you name it. They're all, they're, they're all there, and they're all under my name, so it pops up pretty quick. Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Scott. We could do like 10-part series with you. This is such great information. And thank you for just being so open and transparent and sharing all of that with our listeners because it's really important that we're helping people create wealth and create different revenue um, opportunities. So we're so thankful for you, Scott. And thank you for coming back on and doing a second a second part of our series with it. Thank you You're so- You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it once again. Yes, thank you, Scott. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a rating and a review so we can get this out to more agents. And tune in next week for another power-packed episode. This is the Millionaire Real Estate Podcast.